Um, and I remember us, you know, the eight of us or whatever sitting in a room and someone was talking about that before a meeting was supposed to start. And I, I remember saying, who fucking cares? Like, I just don't fucking care if Alex dies. Yeah, yeah. Because, Someone else made that choice. Yeah, if, if Valve it. decides to kill... Like, I'm sure people all around the world are going to weep, and it's going to be great, and we'll be talking about it 20 years from now, about how it was this big surprise that Alex actually died, but I just don't give a fuck. Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, we are talking to veteran game designer Clint Hawking, who started his career as a game designer on the first Splinter Cell and was also creative director of Splinter Cell, Chaos Theory, and Far Cry 2. So you're in a strange position of releasing your first game, which was critically, critically, critically acclaimed and commercially successful, which is like great. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like the best, that's, that's the dream, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, uh, but you were not, you were not happy. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, first of all, were so, you were you happy? Like, just as a person at that point? Um, like, you're like your life had changed. Yeah. So as a person, yeah, I was happy. I was set up in Montreal, and I, you know, I had a had a girlfriend yeah. and. Um, uh, was absolutely convinced I wanted to stay. Um, and you felt like, do you feel like now this is, this is what I want to do with my life? Like this yeah, is, yeah. Now I make, I make games the, now. That's yeah, what the I novel was, was off. Yeah. <laughs> it was off on the yeah. shelf somewhere. Um, yeah. Well, because you know, I'd already, so at that point, yeah, it was like, um, I was going to be the writer on, on chaos theory and, yep. um, you know, I was way more interested in the kinds of writing I would be able to do with right. like. So you had, you knew you'd have an outlet. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then yeah, I would, you know, I would. A lot of the stuff that was factional and problematic about the first Splinter Cell, this like a lot of people left the company. You know, the bunch of the Splinter Cell guys left to go start the EA company in in Montreal. They opened the EA studio in Montreal. And this was, was the like one faction. This was the other faction. This was the other faction. Um, as I said, one of the level designers had been fired. Um, yeah. Another one of them left. So the people um, that were left behind, you guys must have been pretty tight and philosophically we, aligned. We were pretty tight and we were pretty philosophically aligned. Right. Um, Which is great. That's that's the yeah. making of a good team. Yeah. And uh, and also, like, yeah, we were, we were tight. We were phys- philosophically aligned and we were – we had the same – opinion about what the problems were mm-hmm. and what's what I think is even better than that and what is more sophisticated maybe is that even though we were the the game should be like thief camp where it's open and you can go everywhere you want right I think we had a more sophisticated understanding of the game and we're like it's actually okay that there are some set pieces and that right. the game is more linear than thief Right. Um, you weren't zealots about. We weren't zealots. We weren't like throw. We weren't going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're like, right. how do we make? It wasn't how do we make it like Thief, which is what we thought the original Splinter Cell should have been at once upon a time. It was like, how do we actually make Splinter Cell that it now is, that has now been established by the shipping of Splinter Cell? How do we make what it's trying to be the best? That right? right. Like, how do we make it? The, don't make it a banana. Make it the best fucking orange it can be right um it's an orange like deal with it it's never going to be a banana now so like make the best fucking orange you can yeah and uh and that was our that was our 
our unified vision of yeah. like what we were going to do. So you guys really you were set up in actually a very good position was a great for that position. game. Yeah. Did you did you feel that at the beginning of the project like this very is much. this I like, mean, we're going to do it this yeah. time like Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like we were yeah, we were it was a very um the team was very gung ho. Like we really we were like okay we got a, whatever, a 92 Metacritic or something. And it's like, we're going to beat that. Yeah. We're going to beat it. And it's like, you don't, it's not often that you set out to beat <laughs> a 92 Metacritic, a 92 Metacritic right? right? Um, and, and yeah, that was it. We were just all in on that. We were absolutely, absolutely committed to it for sure. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we did. So what, what happened? How did it, how did you start? So yeah, were you the... <clears throat> Lead designer, essentially, for... No, I wasn't the lead designer. So one of the the problems was that me and one of the other level designers both wanted to be the lead designer. Yeah, sure. And and the producer, um, who would actually... So also the producer of the original Splinter Cell had quit at, like, Alpha or Beta or something like that. And, like, another producer from Ubisoft had taken it over and shipped it. And so he was now the producer on Chaos Theory. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, he actually had the wisdom to, to see, like, I can't got a problem here. Like if I, if I create a division between these guys, yeah, like yeah. I'm just going to be right back where I started. Did you have a good um, relationship with the, with the other the designer? Other yeah, yeah. 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 But it was just, just said, like, there's going to be one, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so it wasn't, he went and got someone else. A third, a, a third he went party. He got another designer. Okay. That's interesting. And said, this guy's going to be the lead designer. Clint's the lead level designer and the script writer. And you know, to the other level designer, like you're, you're a senior level designer. Right. Like, like that's how it works. But interesting and, choice. Did you make the right choice? Absolutely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. It worked. It worked very well. Um, um, I think the the guy who was the level I won't name him, but I think the guy who was the level designer he's he's still a good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who remained a level designer like powerfully leveled up in his own ability to like help the rest of the level because it was like me and I was a lead, so I wasn't building a level myself. Sure. Um, there was uh, one two maybe three guys, three level designers from the original game and like three or four new guys. He really leveled up his ability to like help all those guys like understand what makes a good level. He spent a lot of his time playing their levels and giving feedback. He spent a lot of his time like working with artists. Like he really just like was like, okay, like I didn't get the promotion that I wanted, but I'm going to fucking like, I'm, I still think we're going to make a 94 rated game and I want to be like, I want to contribute to that in the best possible fucking right. way I can. So we had a really positive attitude about it. Hmm. Wow. Well, you guys, sounds like you guys both handled the situation. Yeah. Pretty well. I mean, especially, I mean, you were, if you were the lead designer of Splinter Cell and now you're, some people look at that as like a step down, right? From- well, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I was the lead level designer and I was the, I was the script writer and frankly, there was probably a lot more creative control there. A lot of things in the design um, didn't in the systemic design didn't change very much. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of improvements and a lot of tweaks. Um, a lot of stuff like, you know, just one example, like the, we went from a pistol where you, you'd shoot the lights with bullets and we added like a little, like, like electrical device that would allow you to temporarily turn out lights without shooting bullets and making nearly as much noise. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just designed that. Right? Sure. Like, like there was lots of game design stuff that I just did. Mm-hmm. Right. And lots of people also just did game design. A lot of, a lot of design in the game came from level designers. Sure. Or like, well, design I was going to ask, was, would you say that like the systemic raw material was there in the first Splinter Cell, but like the levels wasn't, the levels weren't bringing it out? 
I would say a lot of it was. And I think like we did a lot of analysis of like, Hey, these are the tools we have and these are the kinds of challenges we have. And like, let's graph it all out. And like, look, we're just missing tools to deal with these and we're missing challenges to counter those. And like, let's just fucking make that. Let's just do that shit. Let's just add it. Right. So we added a whole bunch of stuff and then, yeah, we had a lead designer who, you know, hadn't been on the first game who was like, okay, I get it. Like we need a, you know, we need a, I can't even think of something specific. Like, uh, we need, we need doors that you can see through, but you know, that still function as doors. So we need glass doors. We need to have a design for that. And they can't be shot because we can't have a door that shatters for different technical reasons. So like, like, okay, we have these kind of bulletproof glass glass doors or whatever. Right. Um, and that kind of stuff. Right. So we would design all the ingredients that we needed and, or we would brainstorm up all the ingredients we needed to come up with the challenges and stuff. And, and then, yeah. What was the lead designer's background? Uh, he'd been a lead designer on something else at Ubisoft uh, a few years before, and then he'd left, I think, to go somewhere, and then he'd come back, like, recently, so... Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then... And then... I think we were maybe six months into the project, and uh, and then the mandate came down from, like, Ubisoft that, like, all of the all of the projects, all the big projects, at least, need to have a creative director. Like, that was, like, they were restructuring the company, and they were just like, well, it has to be clean, so they... So it was me. That put you above the lead designer? Well, tech, I mean... Yeah, I don't necessarily understand what creative director ever means. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's... It just yes. means something totally different in every different company. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, so what does so that So the mean? whole thing is weird. Like, first of all, there wasn't really an above anyways. Pure, there was okay. just like... There was the producer, and I would say that all of the leads on the project were, were under the producer. Were right? under the producer. Um, so the lead designer, you think of him, he's the lead gameplay designer. Sure. Yeah. He was, he was a, he was my peer, right? Right. Like him and I were at the same level and the the, the lead programmer was at the same level and the lead animator and the, whatever the lead modeler and whatever. Um, and then I don't, you know, they offered me the job of creative director and I said, no, I Mm. said like, I don't, I don't, I already have two jobs and like, I'm, I'm not going to stop writing the script and I'm not going to stop leading the level design team in order to have a title. What did creative directors mean? And so creative director meant we're going to call you that and you're going to keep doing the exact same job that you're doing. And that's ultimately why I accepted. I was just like, okay, like you needed to tick a box. And if I don't do it, there's some small danger that we may just have some dude helicopter. Random random guy. director. Yeah. Yeah. So I accept this. I accept your nominal position (laughs) and I'll, now I'll go back and do my real job over here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a good job. Yeah. I mean, that's a good move. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it didn't actually change anything operationally. Um, But yeah. Um, Okay, so then, so you you guys developed a good process for making levels. And, and lots of good processes. Like, they were good processes, good work with the, you know, the engineers were... The Splinter Cell Chaos Theory was, like, I think the second or third game. It was the second game ever to ship with normal maps. Okay. I mean, there may have been some weird abstract thing that may or may not have even really been a game, but, like, it was the first real you know, big budget AAA game to ship with the second, I think. I think Deus Ex beat us. Deus mm-hmm. Ex Invisible War. Right. Um, we I think we beat Doom. Doom 3 or whatever Doom the 3, first yeah. game was that had normal maps. Um, so, like, there was a lot of, a lot of work with uh, the programming team. Like, how do we get gameplay out of, like, reflections and, and reflecting light and all of these kinds of things? Like, how do we get... Uh, so, you know, a lot of work with animation and art to figure out, like, you know, we've got all these moving fabrics and stuff. Like, how do we get, 
how do we get gameplay out of that? Like, you know, stuff like, like, oh, there's some fans and there's with spotlights on right. the roof and the fans are blowing the curtains and you use your, your little electrical device to like knock out the fans and then the curtains drop and so there's shadows. So you take out the things and then you can sneak by without the light shining on you, like stuff like that. Like how do we use, not just use the gameplay ingredients, but how do we use the graphical features and the animation features and all of this stuff. So it's a lot of cross-team collaboration and discussion about how to get the most, like how to get every fucking drop of blood out of that stone, right? Right. And that was great. That was great. Oh. Did you guys, so, you know, you talked about, you know, one of the biggest issues with Splinter Cell being the difficulty. Um, and, you know, the, so the solution, solution for that was getting a lot more feedback on levels. So was that purely internal or did you guys start to do stuff? We had a lot, well? we had a lot more like focus tests with players. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't remember us ever, you know, when we would go and watch the focus tests and all right. that stuff um, and get the reports and see where the blocking points were. And I don't remember us ever feeling like those tests were telling us a lot that we didn't already know. Right. Um, I think that there were probably some things that would come back as blocking that, you know, the level that a given level designer might be pushing too hard to say, like, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. And, you know, we would tell them, you know, cause it, even though the process was better, it wasn't perfect. And we would tell them all, yeah, it's not working. You got to fix it. You got to change it. You got to do something else and blah, blah, blah. And then finally the, the focus test report would come back and Hey, look like seven out of eight players never made it through that door. We told you like, yeah, now, yeah. now you got to fix it. And there were a couple of times I think where I had to say like, look, like change it, change it however you want, but change it. Right. And if you don't change it, I will take it away from you and someone else will change it. Like right. it's, it doesn't fucking work. Seven out of eight players don't get past level right. three because of your decision that's not going to happen. So right. fix it. So and it was, I think it was useful to have some objective data. That yeah, was not I think like, so. Like, and, and again, like I think, you know, I'm <laughs> as you may know, like I can be a pretty blunt person when I need to be blunt. <laughs> sure. So like, and I think, you know, I think, I think the guys on the team respected that when it, when it came to it a few times. Um, so it was fine. Yeah. So what were the, what were the biggest challenges you had though with the, with the game? Um, the biggest challenge with the game was getting it done. Yeah. Um, it was a big, difficult game. Um, moving, you had what, like two years, something like that, or I think we only had, I think we had, yeah, like two years total. But like, really, the first couple of months was Got just burned. Yeah, was burned because it was like Splinter Cell shipped in like October or yeah. something, and then so we had two years. Like we yeah. didn't really start until January, or February. Sure. Um, wow. Okay. Like, we didn't actually get any forward mm-hmm. momentum until January or February. Um, so, really, it was closer to 18 months, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, having to train an art team to to do normal maps was, while the technology is being built, so, like, there's guys, like, coding the stuff that you need to render normal maps, like the per-pixel shading or whatever... Like, so it just wasn't there for many, many months and then it's there and then the artists don't know how to use it. And then there's all kinds of new tools and techniques. So it was just very, very, very slow and time consuming and hard for the artists. Um, um, we, you know, we switched from like node-based pathfinding to nav mesh and mm-hmm. auto-generated nav mesh. And I remember um, one of the problems was that 
So in the original Splinter Cell, I spent as a level designer probably probably 50% of my time like debugging our shitty fucking scripting tool. Um, on on chaos theory, level designers were probably spending 50% of their time um, on like tweaking the edges of fucking badly generated nav mesh. It was just like, it was just a terrible fucking time sink that broke so much shit. Like an AI couldn't navigate somewhere, a scripted event would fail and the whole level would lock up. Right. right. Just wouldn't go forward. Fuck. Um, <clears throat> but the biggest challenge was just getting it done on. So that's what happened. It was, that's what happened. It was supposed to be a two year development from like whatever, like from when Splinter Cell shipped two years till chaos theory shipped like I said, we didn't really get moving on anything until January of the that following year. Uh, and then um, Pandora Tomorrow shipped that year. Okay. And, it, and it slipped, I think, into the new year. So it slipped, and then we announced Chaos Theory like the week after Pandora Tomorrow shipped at E3. Mm-hmm. Which is not great. Like, hey, yeah. here's our game. Here's Buy our it. Game. The sequel's coming in one more year. or in, in, The sequel's coming at Christmas, right? At that point, we were still supposed to be shipping it that Christmas. And as the, we were getting closer and closer to that date, it was just like getting harder and harder and harder. And I remember there was one meeting. I guess I, I, guess I totally forgot about that game. Who, who made that game? It was made in Shanghai. Oh, it wow. It was the team that had done the, the port of the original Splinter Cell to PlayStation. Uh-huh. They got to make the sequel. So... In in, in a year, uh, yeah. Well, they'd already started working on it. I think, like, okay, kind of in okay. parallel. Wow. Yeah. What was? Wow. I mean, I guess obviously, I know that's like kind of standard practice now. Yeah, basically, I just I didn't guess. know you guys were doing that. Well, they were supposed to make early. it in a year, but it ended up taking that sure. again. They were delayed by three months or whatever. But still, yeah, yeah, it was hard for them. I imagine. Did you guys pay attention to that game much? We, we, like... It was it was it was a sore point for us for sure. Yeah, like, we worked really hard on the first one, and we wanted to. And like I said, we had this passionate vision of how we were going to fix it and make it right. But actually, we were going to be making a sequel to someone else's game, yeah. and we didn't know them. I mean, so I would think I would think it'd be terrifying. Like you know, like we made this this game that's respected, and it could get all. You know, up. Like yeah. people, people remember like, the last game, right? Yeah, like, and, and, yes, and that they, was they're not going to understand the difference. Like, right? like I'm saying, it was a pain point for us then, but like in retrospect, like I don't even think about it anymore. Like it didn't right. matter because we we achieved all of our goals. Yeah. So like it was it was bad for us then because we were demoralized by it, but like it all worked out the way we wanted it to work out, so it was fine. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, but um, but yeah, working on, and then as we were starting to get closer and closer to like hard deadlines into the summer we were supposed to ship for Christmas um, I remember being called into a few meetings to talk about like like what we need to do to ship it and like what are the consequences of delaying it versus blah 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 blah. I remember being in this long meeting with me and the producer and the technical director and a few people probably Julian Merceron was even in that meeting I would think like, right. um, some oh. Ubisoft executives cool. and smart people um, all talking about um what it's going to take to get chaos theory out on time for Christmas. Yep. And, uh, I remember, and I was the one fighting it's going out for Christmas. We're going to make it. Right. And really the discussion was like, because we're, we got it. When are we going to delay it to? I, because, <laughs> because again, like we were so single minded on like, we're going to get, we're going to do it on time on budget. It's going to be better. Like we're, we don't, we don't fail. 
Like, yeah. we're going to make the best game ever made. We're going to win game of the year. We're going to have a 95 Metacritic game. Like, we're going to sell 5 million copies and, like, it's going to be amazing. Uh, and, and, of you course, and, of course, one of, our, one of our responsibilities under that mandate is to do it on time. So, of course, we're going to do it on time. Like, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I remember all the executives, like, looking over the stuff. And they're just like, okay. They're, and, and then I remember at one point, Martin Tremblay, the president, said, uh, he, say, he said something like, um, so if we ship the game for Christmas, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a 70 Metacritic, a 65? And I was like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. At no point has this conversation ever even included the idea that the game is not going to be a 90. The game will be above 90, no matter what. Mm-hmm. We will give you a 90 Metacritic game for Christmas, or I'll give you like my firstborn child. <laughs> I guarantee it. And everyone else in the room kind of looked at me like I was crazy yeah, yeah. and then went about having the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized like, oh shit, the game's delayed. And then, yeah, sure enough, like a little while later, we delayed till March the following year. And thank God we did because I was so fucking wrong. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I was going to say like, I mean, I don't... Oh, I was just wrong. I was just yeah. wrong. Why were you wrong? You're just, you're just kind of crazy at I was the time? Just, I was just fucking stubborn. Like, yeah. Yeah. We can do it. I can do it, man. Yeah. How, when was that? In summer? Like, yeah, that probably, uh, yeah, I'm guessing it would have been summer, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, three months, you can always use three months. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> at, the, at the end of a project like that. Like, yeah. you don't want to skip that time if yeah, it's, like, no, if it's gifted to you. Yeah, um, There's so much you can do with that. Yep. The end of the project, end of projects can be really interesting, you yep. know, because there's suddenly all these things you can do because you have a little bit of, you know, you can look at the whole game at a high level, yep. right? Yeah. It's a shame if you miss that. Yeah, no, the end of the project was, I mean, we, we got to do a lot of polishing. It was really, really important. Um, I remember I remember sending around, I remember when I find everything was finally integrated and I could play the whole game and I would play, play a level yeah. like for a whole day. Like I would play yeah. the level and take notes for a whole fucking, for like six hours. Yeah. And then I would send the level designer like eight pages of notes and like, you know, 27 bugs and like, and not bugs, like, you know, this door doesn't work and the game fails. Most of that shit was with the like, this light switch is six units too low on the wall. So right. when you play the animation, your hand goes here and the light switch is under his hand. Like yeah. you need to move it up to this thing or like, or, you know, like finding all of that shit. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and I remember at one point too, as I, as I went through all of the levels and did all that, I discovered a bunch of things that were just not uniform across the game. Like the way, uh, like some level designers would have, um, what's a good example? Um, a lot of furniture mm-hmm. would not have back faces okay. on polygons. Sure. Um, and so I would go through the sticky camera and find all the furniture that didn't oh, have geez. back faces. And then, and yeah. then at one point, and, and at one point I send around like a seven page document of uh-huh. bullet points. Like, so you're talking about 125 bullet points. These things are broken in all of your levels. You right. need to fix them all, like all of them, like whatever, a light switch has to be this number of units above the ground, like, um, like all of that shit. Right. right. Um, um, and I said I sent it to the level design team and, and the level artists, like the artists that would partner with them. And I said, in ten days, I am sending this list to test, and you are fucked. 
Like, so you have to go through every <laughs> fucking point on this list and fix every fucking thing. And I'm going to come by your desk every day and you're going to show me like which ones you've crossed off and which are fixed for every fucking room in every part of your level. And, uh, and I did, and everyone did it. A couple people slipped on a few things and sure enough, like I sent it to test and, oh, there was a lot of stuff about ways to break scripted events. Like don't set up a scripted event that triggers on a door because if the, you know, because if the, and if you can get an AI to come and open the door, then mm -hmm. it does something that whatever breaks the scripted event, then even if the door then closes and you open the door, the scripted event won't launch. So I would like do all of these little tricks. Like I would find my way back around the long way and like, you know, hit the trigger before the, the activation trigger and then open the door and then go back around and then go through the door and like break the scripted event. And I would, and like, I would send all like, I would send a list of the, to the testers saying, these are the ways you break our scripted events because right. the level designers haven't built them properly. Try stuff like this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And they were like, <laughs> so yeah, once I, once I sent that list to the level design team and told them like how badly fucked they would be if this went through test, right. like, and then just marshaled them to fix everything. Like it just put this really solid layer of like the game became really hardened. It was like unbreakable. Um, it was really consistent. Like there was never weird stuff that changed from level to level. Like everything was consistent. So it's really made a big difference for sure. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, so one of the things I hear a lot about uh, chaos theory um, is about the multiplayer that, you know, it had that really kind of unique multiplayer mode. The, the competitive mode or the co-op mode? You probably mean the, comp the spies versus the I mean the, the spies mode. versus the mercs. Right. Yeah. Um, so were you involved in that? I was not involved in it at all. Nope. The, the Spies versus Mercs was the thing that they added to Pandora Tomorrow. Okay. To like, you know, make sure it had its like big new thing. And it was made in, in France, like in Annecy. So the Shanghai team made the single player game and the French team made the, the Spies versus Mercs. Um, okay. So that was in Pandora Tomorrow. It was moment. in Pandora Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I, in, and I, I literally never played it. I wasn't that interested in it. Um, and then, and then the same thing for chaos theory. Like it was the, it was a team in France that, that built that mode. Um, and they just managed it in a completely separate, like, like as far, I think it's like a separate EXE on the disc. There's like, three, oh, really? there, I think there's like three EXEs on the disc. Like it's, wow. yeah, it's like a, it's like a separate game. Um, wow. I mean, to me, it's always, I've never worked on a, on a game where there's like literally multiple studios walk, working on it, like in far flung places. And, yeah. It seems. I mean, now you know, it, you know, it's bigger. You know, that just happens all the time. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think did you guys just not think about it that much when you were making we didn't the game think about it at all. Yeah. Um, we were just like, you know, it was a really popular mode. Mm -hmm. I would say, like, as a team, we weren't we weren't interested in it, but it was really popular, and there's definitely like a fan a yeah. group of fans that are really like it and are really passionate about it, and the people who made it by all accounts, like did a really good job and really cared about it and really invested in it and did good work. And like, they're really in touch with that community of the people who play it. And it's just like, okay, like it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be the best it, that it's going to be the best banana it can be, but we're over here making the orange and like, just let those guys make the best banana that they can. That's all fine. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we were also making the co-op part in, in Montreal. So that was like a separate team, but they sat like, you know, another room than us like down the hall right so. right wow yeah I mean to me I guess that's the beginning of the 
you know, game is this giant suite of, yeah. you know, related things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that just, and I was always amazed when that can come off successfully. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was tough. I mean, the Chaos Theory team, including the guys in, was it Annecy, I think? Um, and the, the co-op guys and, and our team, I guess, um, the team was over 300 people. Wow. It was the biggest team that Ubisoft had ever, ever fielded. Um, it was a really big team. Yeah. Wow. What did it feel like to be a part of a team that big? Um, again, like... I mean, your big, team was only so big, but it was still probably pretty yeah. big. So. Um, yeah, I mean, my team, my team, the team that felt like it was my team, even though I guess the whole thing was my team, um, it felt like it was about twice the size of, of of the Splinter Cell team, and it probably was. And, yeah, it felt like it was at the... It, it felt like it was at the limits of like how big a team could be before I would not not recognize people. Sure. Um, and I think it was like, I think I have occasionally like over the years, like at the different places I've worked, like seen a resume and someone, <laughs> Hey, someone lists Splinter Cell Chaos there. Right. He was a, he was an animator on Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. And I look at his LinkedIn and I looked at his picture and I look at, I'm like, look at his name. I'm like, I've never yep. seen this person in my life. Like, yep. and of course I have, like, of course I know this person, but I just like, it's I mean, a lot. There's, yeah. well, there's also lots of shit that I don't remember from <laughs> from that particular uh, that particular time in my life. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so you got the extra time. The game came out, and was it was it basically what you wanted? I remember the the first review. I think was uh, Ryan McCaffrey when he was still at official Xbox magazine. The first review we got, we got it sent by a PDF scan of it from, or a PDF of it sent Mm -hmm. from their office, like before it, a few days before it streeted. Um, it was sent to the producer and the producer emailed it to me and I opened it up. Splinter cell chaos theory. Sam is back, whatever. 9.9 out of 10. And I went, (laughs) what do we lose? (laughs) Like that was my, my initial honest gut reaction was how dare they give us a 9.9. And, uh, and it was brutal because the, the story there was like Halo had shipped in whatever 2000, I guess. Uh, and Halo had been a 95 in OXM and then Splinter Cell shipped and was a 96 in OXM. Uh-huh. And then Halo 2 shipped the next year and was a 97 in OXM. <laughs> and so I was like, we have to, like, we have to get a 98 from OXM, but like, I won't like, like if we get less than a ninety eight, I'll jump off a building. Mm-hmm. But like we got, we're gonna get a ten. We're gonna get a ten, and then we got, and then we jumped nine point eight and got a nine point nine. But I was still furious that we didn't get a ten, even though no one had ever gotten a ten. No one had ever. So gotten you a 10. didn't have even any Halo proof. didn't get a ten. Yeah, you didn't have any proof that the ten actually even existed. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know that. I, 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 I admit, I know that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I worked on plenty of games where. I, I know that it, uh, you know, I'm not expecting to open up and see perfect reviews. Right. But at the same time, like I want, you know, if I, if I, you know, if there's a game that I feel like deserves something and you don't see it, it's, it's, you know, you take it seriously, no matter what the level is. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's impossible not to. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, um, do you feel like you made any mistakes though on that project? Uh, in terms of the game, 
I mean, yeah, I made a lot of I made a lot of personal mistakes on that product. I almost, I mean, I wrote a long blog post about it not that long ago, so I won't go into it too far. But like, I I have I, I have like I have brain damage from that. Product. Oh, you mean, like, you mean the level you worked? At yeah, like I sure. I just I I fucking just went way too hard. I, like, I almost I damaged myself for real. Right. Um, so uh, here's the question: what what type of game would it have been if you had to have done that? I don't know. There's no way to answer that. Yeah, I don't, sure. I don't even care to speculate. Like, um, um. Like I said in the blog post, it's complicated, right? It's there's no there are no easy answers to it. Um, would I do it again? Like any any question like that, like what would it be like if you didn't, or would you do it again, or do you think it was worth it? Like I just like like they're they're like the questions themselves are like yeah. I mean, I definitely I read that post and I definitely understood it. Right. Like I have the same basic feelings about going to sit four. Right. In that, for me, I like. I mean, I probably averaged 60 to 70, hour, 60 to 70 hours a week for two and a half years. Yeah. Right. And, um, and I think that I am totally fine that I decided to do that at that point in my life. Right. I also don't think I could ever do that again. Right. And I also, and I sometimes deal with that question of like, will I ever be, will I be able to make a game? at that level again, if I'm not able to work like that. Right. But I know I just can't like, it just, it just can't happen. Yeah. You know, it's, these are the, these are like the, you know, it's so easy to take an extreme viewpoint on this. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I've been through it and I don't, I don't know what the answer is, Yeah. but I know what, I know what the reality is now for me, which is, um, you know, I have to figure out a way to make the best game I can in the time you you have in a normal period of time. So, you know, I mean, I take, I take my work time very seriously now, yeah. right? You know, when I'm when I'm at the office from nine to five or whatever, like I think very hard how I use use every hour. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, I'm sure I probably was not doing that. Back, yeah, no, during the yeah. floor, and yeah. it's very possible. And that's the thing; I think it's very possible that. Um, well, here's the thing: what I remember, and like this is, this all sounds kind of crazy if you haven't been through this process, right? But um, during the week, I would get stuff done with the team, right? Like I would be talking to the UI guy and I'd be talking to the networking guy and I'd be arranging a, a play test and I'd be, you know, talking about, okay, we got to solve this problem of like how do you get units to move fast and look cool and blah, blah, blah. And then on the weekend, you're like, okay, I got Saturday and Sunday. No one's going to bother me. I can just write AI. Right. Right. And like, you know, I got... 52 weekends a year, you know, I can, <laughs> I can write a lot of AI during yeah. those weekends. And, um, like that worked, you know, that worked fine, I guess. Yeah. But like, that's not, I can't write a like AI like that now. So yeah. do I write less AI or do I spend less time with my team? Like I, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I mean, know how to resolve I, that. I mean, another thing, like the work was really different. Like I worked, I worked a lot of hours on the original Splinter Cell. Like yeah. I, I definitely like uh, on the, uh, of the design team and the level design team, I was the person who probably was there the longest mm-hmm. uh, in terms of number of hours put in. Um, but like I said, it's because like those weren't fatiguing hours. Like the, there's, you know, the, the whole thing about like after, after, you know, three weeks of like 60 hours a week, your output starts to reduce. Like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm sure. Like, clearly, that's statistically proved sure. true, right? Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's true for every single individual in every yeah. single situation. And like, my capacity to keep building levels at a high rate of output 
back then. It's not yeah. the same anymore. Um, was just like, I, I wasn't going home exhausted. I yeah. was going home like excited yeah. at like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like born to write code, right. to like write game code for right. a sim game. Right. Like it just <laughs> flows. Right. Yeah. Like and naturally. It's the same like for me making something for you, you know? So. But when I, when I became like more of a lead on chaos mm-hmm. theory and like my, my work was a lot more interfacing with people, right. um, cross disciplinary communication, making sure like, you know, the guy, you know, putting the normal maps on the rocks is like, you know, talking with the animator about the shape of the rock so that Sam animates properly with the rock. If he decides to climb over it, like these are, I I actually think one of the mistakes I made was just assuming like, Hey, I worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week on the original splinter cell and nothing bad happened. Like I'll just do that over here. But the work was fundamentally different and in a lot of ways, a lot more demanding and tiring and like stressful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's true. When you're in like your bubble, Right, and you're doing the thing. Yeah, you got your you're headphones running. on, and you're just fucking you're jamming just away, moving polygons yeah. around. Yeah. But when you're like, yeah, when you're interfacing with people in high stress situations, and everyone's different and has their own yeah. like, way you can deal with them, and like. Yeah. So I think I think that's probably why it was so hard. Hmm. Yeah, um, that's an interesting nuance. Yeah, like to put on it for sure. I mean, what? How did? Where did that extra time come from, though? Because presumably everyone else wasn't in the office. 60 to 70 hours a week. Or maybe they were. I don't know. Well, I mean, it was also like there's a lot of people who would show up early and uh-huh. leave earlier. And a lot okay. Of show so up you'd see them in the morning and you'd see the night owls at night too. You were you were the first guy to show up and the last guy to leave or whatever. Yeah. And, like and to be honest, like a lot of people were working 50, 60 hours. Yeah, right? sure. I'm sure. And, and again, I'll be clear. I said this in the blog post too, but like we did not mandate a crunch on anybody ever. Sure. No. Um, it was just people just wanted to do it. Yeah. And yeah, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky issue. I mean, like, those years are kind of a blur for me too. Yeah. You know, like I remember remember lots of stuff about the game, but I don't really remember a whole lot else. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, all right. So, but you're happy with the game, right? Like, you don't. How could I not be? Yeah. It's yeah. It's a. <clears throat> um. I actually played it not that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. or I played maybe four or five levels of it. Um, um, there's definitely still some of the same problems of like, how am I supposed to know where to go? Like the game, but part of, I think part of that is just as a different era. Like games have gotten so much more handholdy just yep. in the last five years, mm-hmm. three years. Um, so Splinter Chaos Theory is much better than Splinter Cell in terms of like helping you you know, figure out how to get where you're going and do what you're doing. There's a lot of optional stuff. So like you can follow the really obvious path and the, the really obvious path for the most part is very, very obvious, but there's lots and lots and lots of like hidden and alternate ways of doing things, which I think made the game really, really valuable to, to the, to the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Oh my God, I didn't even know this vent was like, you're playing the game the third or fourth time. Right. And you're like, I didn't even know this vent was here. Oh my God. It gets me up to there. And I, Oh my God, I can do all of these rooms backwards. Then, Oh wow. Oh, but wait a minute. If I can do the rooms backwards, that means I can get to this guy before I complete that object. What? And then you try it and it, and it works. And like, you get some different version of the story because you like yeah. did the thing inside out. They're just like, holy shit, that's yeah. incredible. Right. So, so you wrote the story too. Yeah. Right. So how did, what was that like? That was awesome because there was a lot of stuff 
on the original Splinter Cell that we talked about wanting to, like our the scripting tools as buggy and fucking awkward and cumbersome as they were were very powerful like mm-hmm. you could do a lot with the scripting tools um and um so there was a lot of stuff we wanted to do about you know tracking what the player was doing and like being able to like um have interrogations be dynamically on people and like so you interrogate a guy and you you ask him where there's some ammo and like he has a list of like rooms that you have already been in and then if you know if he finds a room that you haven't been in and tells you where the ammo is with where there's some ammo right so he doesn't tell you about some ammo that's in a room that you've already found the ammo right for example right um and that isn't actually in Splinter Cell but that those are the kinds of things we were talking about so when I went to write Chaos Theory I had this idea of like okay like that's and that's why I said the first page of every of every level design document is a topology diagram, which is like, it gives me the logical structure, which is like, I know for a fact that when you get into this room with this objective or whatever, you have to have passed through this room or that Uh room. Like I know that that logic is built in. There's no way for that to not be true. And that helped me like have the script be very fluid and responsive to like high and, and lower level decisions that the player was making. We did stuff like making sure that um, instead of just like this dude is has you can interrogate and that dude you have to interrogate. It's like mm-hmm. there's a library of like whatever twelve or fourteen interrogations for every level, mm-hmm. and so like you grab a guy and interrogate him, and it's like unless he has one that's hard, like hard coded to him because of something specific. Oh wow! It'll, like it'll it'll like he wants the first one. Yep. Wow, that's um, interesting. So you could play it multiple times, <laughs> go to the same guy, and he'll like he'll say something different. Yeah, because you got to him different. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and so, so yeah, like, and, and, you know, different stuff like there are, you know, we have this idea in chaos theory of, um, what we were calling primary objectives. Mm -hmm. So, so in chaos theory, there's no such thing as game over. Like there's no mission failed because you, you didn't, you know, do the thing, um, or you failed to, you know, do the objective. Like every objective is automatically, every primary objective is completable in the level. And there, there was a thing called secondary objectives, where you could fail the objective and then the the objective would be spawned in the sub- subsequent level mm-hmm. as like it's now a, it's what we called in our nomenclature a bumped primary objective so it's a it's a secondary objective that had been bumped to, from the previous level and it's now a primary objective in this level it's right. so like there's a configuration of this level that has you know, four primary objectives. And there's another configuration of this level that's taking the game state from the previous level that has five primary objectives and like a whole different set of shit that you have to do to complete that objective. And then it's primary and you can't fail it. Like, and you can't, you just can't get through the level until you do it. Right. Right. Um, And then there were all kinds of optional objectives and all this other stuff. So there was a lot of different stuff about like, I go into level three and like, I need to find this guy and interrogate him, but I fuck it up. And like, he runs and he escapes. Right. And like, then I go to the next level and like, he's there and like, I go yeah. and find him and, yeah. and you know, kill him or whatever. Right. Um, it's interesting. You have, I you know, asked you about writing the script and like, you kind of immediately jumped into like all like the level design aspects of it. That's what I'm saying though. It's like the script was fundamentally informed by the Build logical that. structure that it exists in the level design, right? That's right. why I was such a Nazi about making sure I understood and that the level designers obeyed mm-hmm. the, does, the does topology. The script, of the, maybe I just don't know the term. Does the script not mean like <clears throat> the actual plot or narrative of the of the game? Like, was that did you write that as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean the the, the story. Less so of the story right. is not the script. The story is just like this is what happens in yeah. the game, right? So the story is just like you know that was like a 
that was a, that was a twelve page document, yeah. and it was like here's you know the major characters, and here's what they do, and like here's the major let like one page for each level in the game, and there's yeah. twelve levels, and this is the story of the game. This is what happens, yeah. and then the script is. Like, for each level, there's, like, 14 or 16 pages of script. It's, like, everything that Lambert says to you and everything that Grimm's daughter says to you and everything that all, all the conversations that the NPCs have and all of the objectives that you get told to do and, like, all of the emails and all of the interrogations and all of the right. story events that happen in the game world as it's playing out. But, again, those things are fundamentally connected to the logical structure of the level flow, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because if you can go into the room... With the with the objective in it, if you if if the levels think of it like if the levels were like Thief and you could get to the objective within thirty seconds and complete it, like it's different than if you go all the way around the level and do right. all of this other stuff and then get to the objective, right? And so since we were a lot more open and a lot more freeform, like the story had to account um, for all that. Yeah, stuff, so right? you must have been a very bottom up way of sort of building the story. It sounds like yeah, uh, yeah. I would assume there would have been a lot more effort. Or <laughs> I just don't make story-based games, right? right? So, like, I would think you sat down and write a whole lot more, you know, plot or narrative, like, right at the beginning. I think there's just way too much plot, actually. Like, I think really? one of the weaknesses of of Splinter Cell, and frankly, of most story-based games, is just too, too much, much stuff. plot. Too much yeah. plot. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I. it doesn't matter what the game is. Like, I always... Any cutscene, I just could lose interest. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm, on, I'm sure I'm on an extreme end of that. But, right. like, um, I just don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are no cut. Oh, that's oh, there's the opening. Well, it's not even a cutscene. Like there's, or is it a cutscene? Yeah, there's a there's there's is there one in the middle. There are cutscenes between every level of Chaos Theory. Aren't there? <laughs> it's been long. Well, actually, you said you just played it. Shit, didn't you? Yeah, there are. Well, I, when I say I played it recently, I mean like three years ago. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, there are cutscenes between every level. That's right. I completely forgot. Yeah. You blocked it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, was maybe we should move on to Far Cry then. Was sure. That, was that yeah. next? That was next. Like right away, basically. <clears throat> um, yeah, Chaos Theory shipped, and um, even before it shipped, probably I think, like in that that window between Christmas when it was supposed to yep. ship at March, um, I went and talked to HR, and I said, "I'm not. I can't make another Splinter Cell game. So sure. what can I do?" You did it. You did what you wanted to do. Yeah. And um, there were a few options, but I mean, um, uh, I, I think we had just acquired the Far Cry brand from yeah. from Crytek, and um, I think we'd acquired the engine or something. I don't remember exactly how that. No, I don't think we had the engine at that point, but we had the brand, and they were making a bunch of Far like they were making the Far Cry console games and like Far Cry different versions of Far Cry, the mm-hmm. original. Yeah, and they're like, okay, we want to actually now that we own this brand, we want to, we want to kind of. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouths, but it was like kind of like we want to make this our own now. Yeah. Um. So I was like, okay, I thought about that a little bit. I wasn't sure I wanted to go make a first-person shooter. Uh. But yeah, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, okay, that that could be really cool. Um. So yeah, signed up to make Far Cry Two. What did you think Far Cry meant? Like it's. Like of the big Ubisoft franchises, like I have a very clear idea of what Assassin's Creed means and what Star right. means, but I really don't know what Far Cry means. Really? No, I mean, I guess um, the biggest thing I think is like shooting people in exact locations. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. I do. I do understand Far Cry. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there was we. Um, 
that, that was a question that we had to answer. Um, that was the first question that we had to answer once we got our kind of core team together. Um, and we had to kind of identified the pillars of, of the Far Cry brand. Well, and, especially with the second one, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, the point was how do, we re, how do we reinvent it or reboot it, make it our own without changing it so much that it's not, that it's not Far Cry anymore? Because right. um, we still want to have that. Um, and, uh, and what the, one of the, one of the words that came up a lot when we were talking about it is a French word, it's dépaysa, mm-hmm. which means, I, I mean, I don't, I don't actually know what it translates to, but it means exotic or like, or, um, displacing or, uh, otherworldly maybe like it feels okay. exotic is probably the best way to say it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it really has that feeling of going somewhere, you know, somewhere that you only see in, in postcards or something like that. Right. And, uh, and then, yeah, it was like the open world and the freedom of the game experience and, and the realism. I mean, we had, we came up with our little acronym for the game, which was Formidable, which is like F is for freedom. O is for open world. R is for realism. M is for meaningful that was like what we were adding um i is for immersive for me and d is for dynamic and then that that was for mid was actually the thing but like oh that's fine because that word is a very different meaning in french than in english or like formidable yeah like basically yeah yeah like straight me i mean yeah it's it's a pretty it's a pretty unusual word in in english it's more common in french it just means strong strong yeah yeah Yeah. Um, convincing Right. Hmm. Um, okay. Did you pick? Uh, how did you guys pick Africa? Um, yeah, that's a funny story. You know, like um, it was actually Alex Amancio, the art director, who picked Africa. Um, picked. I mean, we were talking about. We talked about everything. We sure. talked about like talked about the Arctic Circle. We talked about tropical islands. We talked about. Um, I mean, every, everything. Talked about fucking space stations. We talked about, talk about the moon. Um, not the moon. We did, talk, <laughs> but we did talk about space stations. Okay. Um, um, and a couple of times Africa had come up, and it just kind of came up and got put up on a board, and yeah. you know the sticky note ended up in the garbage somewhere at some point, and just kept never really sticking. And then you know, over the course of a few weeks, the art director, you know, kept bringing it up and kept bringing it up more and more seriously. Until at one point he sort of, you know, walked us through the whole, like, you know, that, you know, it's the, it's the, the brown and orange image with the sun setting behind the lone acacia tree in the distance and the drums and, and, and kind of describing it. And you're like, oh yeah, I started to see, we started to see yeah. it. <clears throat> and actually it was probably more important than like what it was visually was, I think it really began to define the tone of the game. Like, it's like, okay, if we're going to go to Africa and shoot people, Oh boy, like that's a tricky game to make, right? Yeah, um, that's loaded. Yeah, yeah. So, so we had to unpack that and figure out how to make that game without it just being so what, like awful. What was your solution for that? Take it seriously. Yeah. Do it. Do it respectfully. Do it right. Like, like figure out what these kinds of conflicts actually mean and like, and like deal with it. Like, don't you can't make it can't make it funny, right? Like, can't you can't you, if you're gonna do it, you have to like be respectful of like. Like what, what's going on in Africa, right? Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Did you research that? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. How'd you go about doing that? 
I went and, well, I mean, at, at that time, kind of by coincidence, there were lots of films coming out about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, I got a stack of 20 different books about, you know, child soldiers in Africa and Rwanda and all that shit and write it all. It's fucking, it's fucking horrible. Like, it's really, it's really yeah. a long slog of difficult reading. Yeah, I bet. That's yeah. part of the world. Yeah. It's, yeah, they've been through a lot. Yep. Uh, what, uh, how much time did you have to do that? To do the research? Yeah. To, oh, to, to all... figure out what to do. Um, yeah, we started, I don't remember the actual timing, but basically we started in the beginning of, we started just after Chaos Theory, so we would have started in like summer. How does it work? Do you have, do you guys get a period of time with like not too many people where you can? Yeah. Kind of yeah. We had about, game? we had about 10 people um, to figure out what the sort of core of the game would be. And I think we had like that, whatever, six months before we needed to go to our like, you know, end of conception meeting and like mm-hmm. present, you know, what the, what the theme and the location and the tone of the game would be. And would there be mutant monsters or would there not be like all that kind of stuff? Like, Right. So you you went to them and you pitched. We're doing Africa. And we're doing it straight and like we're <clears throat> yeah. And how did they respond? Um, um, the the creative editorial team at Ubisoft was was totally fine with it. Like, well, I mean, they had serious questions. questions yeah. yeah. But uh, but they're like, yeah, that's fine. Like, don't fuck it up. But yeah, it went really well. Um, it was much much tougher sell for marketing. They were always nervous about it. But yeah. But overall, it went really well. Okay, so how did you bid? Was the team, how did you, uh, were there a lot of uh, chaos theory people on the team? Like, or was there a no, new process was, that you had to build up to make the game? Or it how, was, did you, um, how did you make it? Uh, it was a, kind of like a new team being brought into functioning almost out of thin air. The, um, the, the technical director, um, Dominic Guy, was the lead programmer on the PlayStation version of Chaos Theory, mm-hmm. which we'd made in Montreal or made most of in Montreal. Yeah. Um, and the PS2 version. And he brought, you know, three or four programmers that he really liked. Um, and then basically everybody else. Oh, I brought the lead designer from Chaos Theory, the guy who right. had been the, mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the lead designer because I wasn't and the other guy wasn't. Um, and, uh, then the art director was someone from external from the company and the lead level designer was a guy who'd been a lead designer on, on another product, um, that had been canned not that long before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm trying to remember who else was there. What was, I mean, were you, were you selling a specific vision to them? Not thematically, but like from a game mechanic point of view? No, we, we, I wasn't selling anybody anything. The six of us or eight of us or whatever all came together and figured out collectively what what we thought the game should be um we had a lot of talks about whether the game should be level based uh, or an open world or what kind of open world like should it be an open world like like uh like gta should it be an open world like uh like a skyrim like elder scrolls kind of game with like dungeons and and buildings that are like loading um should it be should it be a a bunch of big maps like like a like Far Cry was. Right. Um, and why did you make the decision? You, you went eventually with an open, with an world, open world. You know, <clears throat> um, it was complicated. Um, we actually didn't um, even conclude our engine discussions until um, 
the start of pre-production, so we didn't even know what engine we were going to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once we confirmed that we would be taking the cry engine and like having a pipeline team in place to like like rebuild it for what we needed, then it was a no-brainer. It's like yeah, we're gonna there's there's not much point in taking this engine and not doing the work to turn it into a fully streaming open world engine. Like mm-hmm. there's no point in having large levels. Like why not just make it a fully streaming engine? We're mm-hmm. gonna have the people in the time. So like then it was then it was a no brainer. Like yeah. were you were you excited to work on an open world as a designer? Yeah, yeah. Like, what did um, you want to do with that? I mean at that point at that point as far as I can tell there was no such thing as an open world first person shooter. Like I can't think of one. Like Stalker didn't come out until sure. we were in development until close to when we came out. Right. right. Okay. Um, so like it was like this is a completely new thing. Like how do you like shooters have a really particular like kind of always on pacing to them. Right. Yep. Um, you're constantly in battle. You got to fight forward down the hallway all the time. Right. Like the you don't closest. want the player just lost somewhere. Yeah. And nothing's and happening. It's, and it's like, um, so yeah. I mean, we were trying to work on these design problems of like, what is the pacing of this game going to feel like? I mean, if it feels like Skyrim with sporadic gunfights instead of sporadic sword fights, is that a fail? Like, I shouldn't even say Skyrim. Skyrim was six years later or something. But you know what I mean. Like an Elder Scrolls game. More, um, I guess, would be the comparison. More yeah. was our comparison. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we were just like, okay, like, first of all, the game is, the game is, first of all, like we were very early on, we were, we were not interested in fast travel. We're like, if we put in fast travel, like you're just going to teleport to like your right. objective What's and then the you're going to kill a bunch of guys and then you're going to teleport somewhere else. Like a big part of this game is going to be traversal and crossing the terrain. And like, I need to get, I need to get from here to here. And like when I, just as I start, I'm going to get contacted by my buddy who's going to be here. And then I have like either a mission that takes me from here to my buddy to there, or I have a mission where I just go there and like, and like, how do we design the world to support that, that flow and make it feel like you're not, you know, make it feel like the getting there is part of the gameplay and the little checkpoints and, and little roadside things that you need to engage with, um, or that you get sidetracked by are like, are actually the part of the game that matters, um, they're the they're the that's the level right Right. when i take an objective and i have to get way the fuck over there the level isn't killing all of the guys that are there the level is the getting there right so Um, how did you make that interesting uh i mean we i mean that that that's how we designed the game we designed the game to be like that so it's like um we were very careful about where we put all the key locations and where we put the checkpoints between them and like what the distances were and like, uh, figured out where, you know, for all the different possible permutations of how a mission could play out, like where the mission structure is, is there's a couple variants of the mission structure, but you know, there's a few different structures, but like always aware of like, if I'm going from here to there to there, like this is a road, I can go this way or I can go that. I mean, I can also just do this. We're not going to support like how we design for players that do weird random shit, but at least we know like these are the major, you know, likely approaches. And so, but, but I mean, mostly like, it's not different. You're driving from here to here because you've got a mission to go there and complete something. Or if you're driving from here to here, just because you want to go there, like it's the same, it's the same thing, right? It's just like, what is it? It just needs to be interesting. So like, how do we make sure that the low level stuff is always interesting? How do we make sure that the AI is just systemically interesting to fight? Like, how do we just make sure that, that the game's just, you've got cool tools and interesting ways to use them and lots of opportunities to use them in interesting ways. That's what the whole game is about, right? The missions are really just 
the goal, the objectives of the game are just a justification to make you engage with the systems with of the, the systems, game, right? right? Yeah. So how did you how did you come up with systems? Um, a lot of it was AI design. So a lot of us spent a lot of time talking about AI design and what we want and need the AI to be able to do. Um, at you know, as you know, I had, we had that discussion very briefly with Mark in the room the other day. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, some people think the AI is not that good, but like I think those people don't recognize the scope of what that AI, there's, there's nothing there from the level designers to tell the AI, there's no scripting, right? Like you drive into an area, chunk of the world loads, some AI, we know how many AI they're going to be. We know the places where they could spawn, but we don't know where they spawn. And we don't know how they behave when they start doing their smart terrain. They're like, their in world default behaviors. Like one guy goes and finds a place to piss. One guy goes and finds a place to smoke. It starts raining. They go and try to get undercover. Like we don't know what's going to happen. So doing that is, especially, you know, having worked on games with, you know, more, you know, more strict AI scripting, it's sort of a leap of faith to start doing that. So what was, what was that like? I mean, it was a leap of faith, but I mean, again, like coming goes back to the, goes back to D and D like, like just, Build, build the thing robustly enough and like it so that it's so that it is able to adapt to what the player does and let the player do what the fuck he wants like yeah. like give him the freedom right yeah um, I remember uh, one of your one of your GDC talks you talked about how you had these three bars or something like that was yeah. the, the, the three each of the um, health morale and care. reliability from the factions yeah right yeah. Um, and that that would have a heavy impact on their behavior yeah right and the problem was that unless you like made those bars like explicit, it was like it just seemed like the AI was doing all sorts of yeah. It was just in it, yeah. It just wasn't stuff. readable. It wasn't wasn't clear how it would actually be manifest in the world. There's a bunch of campers under the hood that weren't doing anything. Like yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's weird. Like for for AI, if you're if you're if the AI is essentially gameplay, right? Like there's a whole spectrum of AI of like. Okay, I'm the right AI. I'm the right chess AI. Right. It's like all I care about is I want an AI that performs right better than a human if possible. Right. right. Far Cry, you're making AI that is content. Right. Right. Like yeah. The AI itself. The is AI the is gameplay. the gameplay. Yep. Right. And that's um, it's anytime anytime I see someone making a game like that, I'm like, you're going to make a system that's too complicated, and the one you're going to end up with is going to be like really very simple. Right. Because in order for the in order for the player to engage with it, it's it's like a game mechanic, yeah. like in a board game yeah. or whatever. It's going to have to be have some <laughs> level of transparency. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I, I, how um, how did you figure that stuff out? Like, like, like for, okay. So, for example, you talked about how you developed a process in Chaos right. Theory. Right, yeah. which is your reaction to going through that process. You're going through that game once before. You went through Splinter Cell. The game, the levels were too hard. We're gonna make a process to fix this stuff right. for Chaos Theory. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a process to start off with to judge. Well, a little bit because a little bit because we had you know I had done a lot of work on the AI in in Splinter Cell and right. a lot of a lot of there's a lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. The AI in Splinter Cell has a lot of help. Right, there's a lot of information in the environment placed yeah. by the level designers. There's a lot of scripting, mm-hmm. um, so it was really like. But really, like when it comes down to like the combat and and sensory part of the AI, like it's really very similar. Like the AI needs to be able to detect the player um, 
and to be able to not detect the player. Right. Um, and the AI needs to be able to use his weapons and he needs to be able to find cover and he needs to be able to maneuver and flank and like support other AI and all of these things. Um, and so it was really just like, how do we make, how do we generalize? And it wasn't, we didn't start it as thinking of it as a Splinter Cell AI, but mm-hmm. really it was just like, how do we generalize the behavior of the Splinter Cell AI? Like mm-hmm. how do, how do we make the AI do the same stuff, but without how do we make that algorithmic instead of, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and you know, like weird, like weird stuff, like, um, late in development, um, AI could throw grenades, right. um, but the, the decision to throw grenades would always fail if the player was like in a building because like they couldn't, they, like they would try to figure out where the grenade would land and like, could, they couldn't get it in the building. So they would abort and they would just try to kill you, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is fine. Uh, except we found through, through our own testing that like it, there was a dominant strategy, which was to a degenerate strategy is just go in a building, and shoot out the windows. They're mm-hmm. fucking powerless against you. They can't do anything because right. you've got all this great cover and you just pop up out of the windows and shoot them. And by the time they track you and return fire, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they make it to the door, but as long as you're, you know, keeping an eye on the door, like you're, you're, you're indestructible. They can't beat you. Right. Um, and it was like, once we figured it out, it's like, fuck the whole, our, our game is fucked. Like, what do we do? Um, so we had to, um, we had to do a thing where we would mark up grenade points for every window of every building. Right. So, but, but because we, we didn't have to do it in every building in the world, we would take the buildings in max mm-hmm. and write a tool that would allow us to bake the grenade point in, in, inside max. So we would know what the arc was where you could throw a grenade and we'd say, okay, like here's a building and here's a window. And so from this window, place a grenade point and it would calculate where the grenade point would be in max or whatever our 3d tool was. Right. And then you would export the building and it would reappear. So it would automatically do that every so, time. So, the building. so yeah. So for every, so for every building, like all the grenade points were effectively part of the building. Right. And then, and then we'd load them in the game world. And then when an AI would try to, um, Throw a make the decision to throw a grenade at you. He would. I'm going to throw a grenade because that player is in the building. So the AI would then run to the grenade point and throw the grenade, and the grenade would, because the grenade point was pre-calculated, it would the grenade would just go in the window, um, and then and then you were just dying all the time because because when you tried to use that strategy, the room would just fill up with grenades all of a sudden, and you'd be fucked, right? Um, so we had to back off some of that stuff as well, but like. You could, um, you could do it now. So there ended up being bits of markup, and and you know, like the the game the would would the building would be there, but sometimes there'd be a giant rock where the grenade point was, and so that it would detect that and chuck that one out for that particular instance of the building, all of that stuff. But like you know, these are hard problems that you'll find out exist until you're deep in the fucking weeds of making the game. Um, and there, you know, probably bunches of stuff like that. But aside from you know, in that case, aside from the grenade points that are attached to the windows. Um, um, I don't think there's any other AI markup in the game at all. Like, and all of that was procedurally placed, right? It's not. It's crazy. Yeah. So, how did you work with the AI programmers to like <coughs> the, AI, the AI programmers? Did you give them a lot of autonomy to like yeah, fix they, this stuff? Basically? Yeah, they had a lot of autonomy. They had really good leadership. Um, they were really good designers themselves. They yeah. were really, really good at communicating with us. Really good at helping us understand the, the challenges. Um, yeah, just a lot of communication, a lot of, and frankly, a lot of play. Like I had, we had a lot of time to play that game. I, I spent dozens, hundreds of hours during development playing the game and like finding stuff that wasn't quite right or whatever and talking to people about it. 
Do you find it easy to keep playing the game yeah. over and over again? Oh, I, I still love the game. Still, still one of my favorite games. I love to play it. Really? Yeah. Because it's surprising. <laughs> because it's surprising. Again, it's you know it's very systemic and the AI is very autonomous. It doesn't you know I could get in the gunfight in the same fucking like train station a thousand times. It will always be different. Right? Sure. Um, well, that's definitely one of the things about like I mean I love the Rainbow Sixes right, but like part of like when you play with when you play with with. Or I guess on your own, but when you part of what you're playing there is like you know exactly how to like lead the AI in certain situations yeah. and then take care of them, which is fun, right? Yeah. But you know, yeah, it is what it is, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's 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 not the same thing as, as stuff changing all the time. Yeah. Um, wow. So another another one of the major aspects of the game that gets brought up a lot is the the buddy system. Sure. Like so, how did that how did that come about? That's a funny story. So. Um, when we were in back, when we were still trying to decide whether the game would be in Africa or whatever, like in the very beginning, um, uh, I think it was Half-Life 2 Episode 3 was like, is it going to come out or whatever? And I think there'd been like some, I don't know whether it was a screenshot or like a piece of fan art or whatever, but I think it was like, a, maybe it was like a picture of like, a picture of the giant robot, like mm-hmm. dog or whatever he's called, like yeah. maybe holding Alex's body or something like that. And there was all this like speculation, like, Oh my God, is Alex going to die in half-life episode three or whatever? Um, and I remember us, you know, the eight of us or whatever sitting in a room and someone was talking about that before a meeting was supposed to start. And I, I remember saying, who fucking cares? Like, I just don't fucking care if yeah. Alex dies. Yeah, yeah. Because, Someone else made that choice. Yeah, if, if Valve decides to kill... Like, I'm sure people all around the world are going to weep, and it's going to be great, and we'll be talking about it 20 years from now, about how it was this big surprise that Alex actually died, but I just don't give a fuck. Like, if Alex dies because Valve killer, like, whatever. It's just, like, an authored thing. Like, whatever, it's fine. Authored stories are great, but it's not what I play games for. Like, what I want is, like... I wish they would just make her a systemic character, and if she dies, then she dies, and every time there's a new episode, like, there's a version of the episode with her in it, and a version of the episode without her in it, and, like, then it just checks my save file, and we go from there. And they're like, that's impossible, though, blah, 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 you'd never have as much investment in a systemic character as you did in an authored one, blah, 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 and I was like, and that's, and we just rabbit hold on, like, that, and we're just like, we should, we should fix that, we should fucking do it. Like, I bet we can do it, I bet we can do it with less than 20 characters, and, like, Make sure we can structure, we can use the techniques we learned on Splinter Cell about gating the narrative and, you know, the topology of the space, defining the logic of the story and, like, how, how much it needs to permute and all of this stuff. And I bet, like, with less than 20 characters, we could have it so that, you know, once or twice over the course of the game, some character that you've really heavily invested in and worked with, like, fucking dies in your arms systemically. I bet we could do it. Right. And, like, like, we just kept talking about it and kept thinking about it and... The more we talked about it, the more it seemed like it was something that we sh- could do and that we should try to do. And then it started to fit with the themes of Africa and like all of these kinds of conflicts. And yep. it's like, yeah, like, like if we're not if we're not making these losses meaningful, we just shouldn't fucking have them. So like, let's make them meaningful. That's what the M in Formidab stands for is meaningful, right? So yeah, we just we just went for it. Hmm. So what? Uh, uh... So what was the like editor process on that? Like, I mean, what I mean is like, so you had an idea, like you wanted to be meaningful. Like, what were the dead ends? Like, like how um, did you get to where? <clears throat> I mean, so step one was we needed to figure out what the actual scope was. Like, how many missions are we likely to have? Is it going to be a hundred? Is it going to be ten? Like, 
Um, and what is the implication of these characters and what are the rules for when they can actually live or die? Like, obviously, if all the characters are just walking around autonomously in the game world, mm-hmm. like, and they're all hanging out at a barbecue and you can just go there and with a flamethrower and kill them all, like, then they can't have any connection yeah. to the script, okay. right? Yeah. So if we want them to have a connection to the script, we need to be able to move the plot forward. We need to be able to control where and when they appear and keep track of how many are alive at any given point. We need to gate certain edge cases and like all of this stuff. So we need to figure out like all of the, all of the, the mechanism, the invisible mechanisms of control, the gates that are controlling everything. And once we figured that out and start to figure out how many characters we're actually talking about um, and how many missions and all of that stuff, then it's like, okay, how many, how much, how many branches of the dialogue do we need? Like how many, how many, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of lines of dialogue does this imply like um and how do we scope that so that it's something that we can do and then once we start to figure out okay it's this many characters and this many missions and this much dialogue times this many lines and like is that feasible and like how do we optimize and okay this is the plan and then And then let's start. Oh, and then and then the other part of it was, how do we actually make it? How do we actually make these characters interesting in the game world? Like, we don't actually want like sidekick characters that follow you around, right. like like uh, like little floating orbs that follow you and shoot like marines in in Halo. Right. Um, we don't want um, we don't want escort missions where you have to like keep these stupid characters alive while they get stuck on geometry Um, so that was when it was like okay what we want is for them to appear sometimes Mm -hmm. and to do awesome shit when they appear Right. right so we want them to appear like we want them to be involved in every mission so like they offer you an alternate way to do the mission and if you do it it jeopardizes them and you have to go and save them and they're in this kind of last stand situation. So like that's a thing that we can set up and they're in a location and they're defending themselves and they're about to be overrun and you got to go in and kill a bunch of people before they get killed. But then they just like, they don't, they don't follow you anywhere. There's no escort. It's just like kill all the guys that are attacking them. Um, and then the alternate version is when it happens to you and you go down, they just, they just teleport in and then, we have them like drag you off the battlefield and shoot people. And we did some like fake footage of this and like, like made a fake movie that showed it. And we did some prototypes of it and like different versions of implementations from the very beginning so that that would feel really cool. And then, and then they're just an autonomous character on the battlefield and like, like they can just get shot down. Right. And then when they are shot down on the battlefield, like how do we deal with you, you know, healing them and saving them and, and eventually not being able to, Mm -hmm. So we just, yeah, we just built, there was really just like four or five ingredients that are, that are the, the nodes that make up the thing, like that give it its gravitas, I guess. There's just four or five kind of, not even scripted pieces, but four or five sort of, um, beats that can play out. Right. And then, and then the rest of it is just the system under the hood and how it's all gated and controlled so that it, cause the, you know, the thing we wanted, and this was an explicit goal is for the average player to have one buddy die in his arms once right. per game. And that seems to be pretty close to what happens with yeah. the data that I've seen. Yeah, I was going to ask about how, you know, like that. That's It's an interesting concept. But I'm also wondering, like, were there some players who were just, just not okay with that? 
period? Like, is this just something that they're not used to? Um, like, they, they maybe like maybe some players feel like, well, I guess I screwed up. I need to reload or something. Like, this is. I don't. I never. I never really heard that. I think most people, from what I heard, and you know, anecdotally, right. most people for whom it happened, right, um, were were completely taken by surprise. They had no fucking idea that was what was going to happen. And sure. they're like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe that that happened. And so there was this moment of like, permanent changes surprise. in the yeah. world that are um, know, obviously not part of a story are right. surprising. Right. I think that, um, I don't think there are very many people for whom it happened more than two or maybe three times. Did you do something to try to make it not happen that often? Or is that just, the it's, it's just, it's just improbable that it happens. That yeah. Okay. Often. Um, because they're generally pretty good or, um, because, well, first of all, I mean, there's only 12, there's only six in the first world and six in the last. You have to find them all. You have to do the missions. A buddy has to die depending on situation, but like generally they have three lives. So like if you, there's six missions in the first world that the buddies can be implicated in. If like you'd have to, you'd have to have the buddy die every single time and then have it happen again every single time. And then go to the second world and like you'd have to literally you'd have to optimize for having your buddies die in your arms intentionally almost right okay um, and there's other ways you could even get more than that but it's just like really difficult yeah. um, more likely what happens is that it probably does happen that a buddy dies three or four or five times but sometimes they die in places where you can't like sometimes they get hit by a bus and they're dead underneath a truck and like so we can't trigger the thing so they're Uh just they're just dead sometimes they get hit by a rocket and they're just fucking dead like they can't there's no giving them medicine they're just (laughs) well i guess i guess i mean i guess i mean both situations like i mean it's it's a bigger moment obviously if they die in your arms but like um just the fact like i have a buddy and you know, it's like some people play Fallout. They're like they start with a dog, and they're like, I, 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 I will not let the dog die. Right, right. Like sure. I don't care. Right, like you know, I, the dog dying is the same as me dying. Right, but like, so I got to reload the game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I can see some people identifying with the buddies. Sure, story, but like, yeah, I'm sure some people did, and then they try to keep those buddies alive, and then they get like halfway through the game, and then there's like this weird climax where you don't really know what happened to them, and they all disappeared, and sure, like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think it was like in, in XCOM, like the, the, the you know the recent one, like they make a point of like in the first mission, like they kill guys, yeah, to like you know get you used to the fact that like yeah, you, know, hey, you got this character, oh now he's gone, yeah, and it's like it's early enough, you know, it's like well this wasn't an accident, yeah, this is like yeah. the way the game is, so. yeah. Um, so was was management nervous at all about this concept of this this thing that you know should be this big moment, but you're not sure whether it's actually going to happen or not? Nope. Nope. That's great. No, I think, um, you know, creatively Ubisoft as a company is very like, um, if you can explain like the, 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 the creative reason why you're doing a thing and the, the experience that you're trying to give to players and why it's interesting and why it supports the themes of your game and makes your game better and more coherent and stronger and, you know, different from other people's games. Like they're, they're all in on that. Like, yeah, yeah, that's like, great. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You should do that. Yeah. So um, I haven't I haven't finished Far Cry Two, but um, what I was heard or what I've been told is that at the end the buddies turn on you. Yep. So what was the rationale behind that decision? Well, I mean the I mean the the rationale behind it. I mean the idea is that that we 
Um, <clears throat> the idea is that the player really, the player is one of the buddies. Like you don't, you don't really realize that because you're the player, but in the very first thing you do in the game is you choose one of the buddies oh, right, and sure, yeah. that okay. becomes your character yeah. and the other 11 become the buddies. Other, yeah. So actually you're just one of the buddies, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the game, when they turn against you, it's really just, you know, the, the coming to terms of the fact that, you know, these they're, they're all bad fucking yeah, people, right? They're fucking mercenaries and murderers. They're uh -huh. not really any better or worse than the warlords that you've been warring against the whole time, right? And when they turn against you, it's really just like, a, yeah, you're, 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 a, you're a piece of shit. They're a piece of shit. Everybody's bad here. You go and there, there are no good guys in this game, right? Yeah. And you go and you meet the jackal and, like, he... he is also a bad guy and recognizes that you're a bad guy. And he's just kind of like, well, really the only thing we're trying to do here is, is facilitate the exodus of the civilians out of this out of this country. But really like none of us is supposed to be alive. We're just fucking horrible people. Right. So like the least we can do is help these people escape. And then like, I'm going to shoot myself and you're, or, and you're going to blow yourself up or the other way around. <laughs> but like right, right. <laughs> we, we, we're the, we are the problem. Right. right. So, yeah. so that's the sort of, what the game's about right now, whether the player, unfortunately, you know, we tried the whole, the whole goal of the game was to get to the point where the player was having that realization for themselves mm -hmm. before it was being imposed upon them. them. Yeah. Um, some people make it there. Some people don't. Yeah. So what can you do? What was the general response to that? I mean, that's an unusual ending for a, um, what game. was the general response? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. General. Um, I mean, like just how did people respond to it? You know, like, um, I think a lot of people don't understand it because probably it's just not in the video game vocabulary. Yeah, like they don't right. expect to encounter that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that, I think that, you know, I mean, I still occasionally like pop onto Twitter and I'm scrolling around and like, you know, Chris Remo or someone will be like, read this right. great piece about Far Cry 2. And I go and there's like some new piece of criticism about Far Cry 2. The game's fucking like eight years old. Yeah. People are still writing about it. Like, yeah. I was I was twelve when this game came out, and my brother played it, and like yeah. I wasn't allowed to, and then I forgot about it, and and he said it was terrible, but I found it the other day, and I put it in because I was bored, and then I got sucked into it, and holy shit, this game is crazy, and like now I happen to be like, you know, doing my master's degree in African studies, and like holy shit, this game turned my world upside down. I didn't believe that. Wow, right? So like, you know, people. Um, I think it speaks, you know, we intended to make this game seriously and to be respectful of the subject matter. And I think uh, it speaks volumes to the fact that we, that we did that, that people are still, are still engaging with it in a, in a critically sophisticated way right. today. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that's great. Yeah. So. Yeah. Is there anything you'd change about Far Cry 2 looking back? Like. Guns jamming, malaria. No, like, no, those those are not the things I would change. Those things are change. those things really mattered. Okay, you know, um, the game wouldn't the game wouldn't be the same without those things. Sure. Those things are the things that make you, um, you know, the game's supposed to feel like you hit your thumb with a hammer. You know, like okay. I always said from day one, like like you need you need to feel you need to feel the gun oil and the and the sweat. Otherwise, this game isn't doing what it's supposed to do, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because you know, I've talked about it as like a psychosomatic connection. Like it's immersion. It's not the game is very immersive, right. but immersion, even though it's one of the pillars, like 
we use the word immersion as a shorthand for like this really robust, complicated set of goals, which is about um, the whole thing was get rid of the HUD, force the player to use his senses and to be to be to be sensually in tune with the environment, force the player to constantly deal with jamming weapons, to like constantly be put in this this situation where he feels kind of raw mm. and exposed or itchy and sweaty and grimy so that when so that when you get machine gun down and the screen goes black and you wake up and your buddy's face is right in front of your face and he's right. shouting at you and there's all this gunfire and he grabs your hand and he picks you up and he drags you and you're limping and you see this fucking piece of rebar that's like impaled into your pelvis and he drops you down behind the bushes and you pull this fucking piece of shrapnel out of yourself and like and then you turn to your buddy and he hands you a fucking gun and it's his gun and now that's what you've got like it feels you feel really really intimately connected to this other person and you do that 12 times and then one day that all happens and then you kill a bunch of guys and you turn around and you see him bleeding behind a rock and you go over to him and you're like, we got to get out of here. And you give him some medicine and he's like, give me more. You give him some medicine and he's like, no, no, like just give me a couple more. And you're like, and you're holding him in your arms and you're like, fuck. Oh, right. So like, it's not immersion because immersion is cool, right? Like immersion is not the goal. The goal is all of that stuff working together to pay off that moment of physical, personal intimacy when you when you euthanize someone, right? Yeah. That's what it's there for. Yeah. Well, what would you change? <laughs> Anything? There's, or, there, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of like you know little, one of the one something. of the secret chains of Far Cry is that in Far Cry Two is that um, only one person ever ever played the game from beginning to end on the on a single build before the game shipped. Oh, wow. Jeez. <laughs> I played it and a bunch of people played it on two consecutive or two maybe not consecutive but two like played halfway through the game yeah. and then there was a a, a walkthrough fail the game wouldn't continue yeah. and was able to take another build and be promised that everything was fine and that all I needed really was doing was patching the fucking that bug uh-huh. and then finish the game from there with the same the same data but but literally one person ever finished the game once from A to Z on a single walkthrough, on a single build. Wow. Well, so for, like, a, for a game with as many possibilities as... as yeah, it's terrifying. That's kind of yeah. insane. It's terrifying. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, and, and to, be, to be clear, that, that mistake, that mistake was not made at the end. That mistake was not made by not putting enough testers on it. That mistake was made in the very, very beginning, and I mean the very beginning, when there was 10 of us, and I, we were talking about about this branching story and characters that can live or die and all that stuff. And I mean, the technical director, I was saying, you know, I think I need a couple programmers working on this from the very beginning to make sure it goes through. And he said, I'm, I'm not going to give you programmers to do this. You're going to have to script it. Um, designers are going to script it. And I was like, well, why? And he's like, I can't because the odds of it being cut are really high. And I'm going to have to take two of my best AI guys and put them on this for a year and a half. And then all their work is going to be cut. And they're going to quit. Like, <laughs> well, I'll give you the scripting tools to get you 75% of the way there and I'll support you. But I, I actually just think you're going to fail. It's like, okay, well, we'll do it with scripting tools then. And, you know, so the that sounds... So the scripters wrote the AI? 
You know that that the guy the guy that played it. No, the script the scripters the the walkthrough is a script. Oh, right. So okay. like every mission. So I go and get a mission. Uh huh. Right. And this okay, is like a testing thing essentially. Is it's that a te- what you mean? Well, I'm trying to understand exactly. So 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 okay. There's a whole bunch of global variables, right? right? I choose a character in uh-huh. the very beginning of the game, right. and I have just set a global variable, which yep. is like this character is not, is not available in the pool of buddies anymore because yeah. you're him, right? <laughs> um, I go, I, I spawn in the world, I do my opening like ride in the taxi cab, and I wake up in my hotel. Mm-hmm. And depending on whether I go northeast or southeast or northwest or southwest, mm-hmm. I get I eventually either get shot down or I succumb to malaria, mm-hmm. and that. T- which quadrant of the world I am in matters. It determines uh-huh. which lieutenant finds me. Okay, right. so there's four lieutenants, right. and so if I'm found by this lieutenant, then he is a lieutenant of faction A, mm-hmm. and he answers to the 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 captain of faction A, and right. he sends me on a mission against this lieutenant, who's the opposing lieutenant in faction B, to rescue a buddy who's randomly chosen from that list, um, and that buddy becomes my first buddy. Right. And it, it's a random one from that list, right? Um, and then I go back to that lieutenant, and that buddy's rescued, and that lieutenant tells me he, I can meet this warlord, I can meet this captain. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can't meet the other captain, but I could have actually died and met this lieutenant or this lieutenant, and then I could be meeting that captain. So, like, already the script is just fucking branching out. This lieutenant has a library of six missions that he can give me, and he can give me those missions in any order, uh-huh. depending on the pillars of the faction. And even though most of that is cut, there's still, there still exist ways to get the missions in different orders. Mm-hmm. So you could get any of those missions in any order. And um, when you accept that first mission and you go to go and complete it, when you're like halfway there, you'll get called by your buddy, whoever it is. And he says, hey, if you want to do the mission a different way, come and meet me here. And then you go and meet him and he explains to you a different way to do the mission, which is like about his personal shit. And then you can go and do the mission the way he wants you to do the mission, or you cannot. And so, and this, all of this stuff just cascades forward, right? So right. there's a big script. It's not AI. It's just a big fucking game flow script, right? Okay. That is like, like I remember looking at the. And the, you originally wanted AI programmers to like shepherd that. Well, I wanted them to to control that as well as like. All of this, like as well as all the other AI stuff that they did as yeah. AI stuff, right? right? Yeah. So the whole mission flow was became it was something that had to be scripted. Yeah. And script and it was scripted. Script be, it was scripted by a by a by a technical designer. Yeah. Yeah. And script can be brittle. It, yeah, and it was. I mean, to be clear, it is one big script. And I remember at one point... You mean one file? Over, is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, it's one big... <laughs> How big is the file? It's I don't know, but I remember walking over to James's desk one day and saying, like, hey, James, I think I found a bug where I... And he's like, okay. And I was like... And you could tell. Like, I'm like... So I was on this mission, and my buddy was this, and I was doing this, and then this guy was already dead, and this thing was this, and I was going over here, and I had to go mm-hmm. to there, and then I went to here, and, 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 and then I went and did the thing, and then I came to the place, and, 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 and then the buddy wasn't there. And I can see him... he's listening to everything I say and then after I finish saying it he goes I think I know what that is and he turns to his desk and he goes and the script just goes fucking 
and he just zooms in. It's like like a fucking like one of those like zoom in views of the fucking universe. You just see these fucking <laughs> leaves of script like going out, and they're just there's just more, and there's just more and more and more. Right. It's like okay, I think it's okay. Ah, oh, fuck. And he unsnaps the little thing and plugs it into this other little thing. He's like, it's fixed. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So, so it was pretty scary, right? Yeah. And so he just had this huge mental map of the game flow, and the game flow was fucking ugly as shit. And just like all of these parallel things, like all of like it was just wow. it was just so gross. that that guy could not leave the team. That guy could not leave the team. <laughs> <laughs> that guy could not leave the team. Uh, yeah. Wow. So stuff went wrong, I guess. After like people played the game and. <clears throat> There were issues. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely like walkthrough fails. There are ways to break the game for sure. Um, Nowhere near as many as I was worried that there would be. Um, It seems to be pretty robust. But uh, but yeah, like had that not been written as a as a big like kind of basically it's it's a giant fucking hack, right? Right. It's just a really because there there would be some ways to like have. Sort of like some cleanup code that would like perpetually so, go back so, through, and you're like, well, okay, these are some obvious fail states, so right. we'll paper them over. Right. Like, so to be clear, like once we got to like alpha and beta, and I, it's a long time ago, so I don't remember all the details. Right. Uh, once we got, once we started getting close, and James was like, okay, like I, there are things I can't do. Like yep. there are things that the scripting tools don't support. I need programmers to provide me these things, and then some programmers got involved and then, then there was a programmer assigned to it permanently. Then there was another scripter. And then, then we ended up having to do like, exactly like, okay, you've built this thing in this totally, like, I understand why you built it that way because that was what your job was. But actually what we're going to do is we're going to pull out these modules and we're going to write actual code to like handle like a bunch of this shit. And like, and then the whole thing transformed and it became probably a significantly more robust, but, uh, but still like my point is to say, the thing I would do differently is I would do that right from the beginning. Sure. And we would have had the game flow running in little prototypes that you could click on fucking little boxes in some fucking web interface and watch how the game flow plays itself out from like within a month, right? Right. And we just didn't do that. No. And we should have. No. We would have known like we would have been able to say like what is the maximum number of times that a buddy that you could have a buddy die in your arms if by changing the frequency of how many lives they have, for example, like we right. would have been able to like ask questions about parameters that we might want to adjust and see what the, the, what the, what the min and max and probable outcomes would be and stuff like that. We would have been able to tune the experience of the game flow in ways that we just weren't able to tune it. Right. We, yeah. we got lucky on a, like if our only real goal out of that game flow was that, was that the average player would have one buddy die in their arms over the course of a game. Yep. Like, I guess that's a pretty simple goal, but it's a, like, we could have got there a lot easy by just making it a fucking, by, just by having it be Alex. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Doing a project like that, it feels like you're doing everything the hard way, you know, but there's times when it pays off. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So how'd you, how, um, the game came out. How did you feel about the reception? Like how how did it go? Um, I mean, the reception was mixed because um, because the game doesn't pander to people. Like yeah. it just doesn't. It, it's trying to be, and and not because I'm a fucking asshole or not because I'm some kind of artiste, but because if we had made that game so that it pandered to people, 
we would have just taken a shit in the mitt of the entire continent of Africa, right? Mm-hmm. You can't you can't make that game so that it panders to people. You sure. can't make the game that the critics of the game wanted without it being disgustingly and horrifically racist. Mm. So like you're kind of we were kind of in a catch twenty two from day one. Yeah. So so that said, I'm very, very happy with the with the reception. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's um I am I am personally much more interested I'm not interested in the thing that gets that has a ninety five like Metacritic that's ninety nine on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not interested in that. Right. I'm interested I'm actually more interested in things that get a seventy five because it means some people don't like it. Yeah. Sure. And like I'm more interested in things no, that's, that that's one of the hard part that's one of the hard places the industry is at. Yeah. Is making that transition of you know, interesting work is going to provoke different responses. Like, right. That's the whole point. That's right. why it's interesting. Right. Um, and we're still, we're still caught somewhere between product and art. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, in that sense, like, yeah, sure. Do I wish it was a, a 94 Metacritic? Like, yeah, I do. Of course I do. But like, at the same time, do I have to realize that like, there is no version of the game that we set out to make that could have been in 94. Like that's just not, it's not possible, right? There isn't a version of the game we set out to make that is in 94. Um, So like, would I rather have a 90? No, I would not rather have a 94 and have that game be universally popular because I would be, because I think it would be a pretty horrifically shameful thing. Right. But there's people who love the game. Yeah, there are intensely. lots of people who love the game. Yeah, that's so, that's great. And there are people who hate it intensely, and that's yeah. that's fine. And I I understand why they hate it. Yeah. I do. Um. Um. Yeah, I mean, there there you know, there's a whole universe full of people who who actively don't want games to have anything to say. Right. They want. They think that the the entire purpose of a game is just to be is to be candy. It's to be is to entertain them. Is to is to serve them. Right. Um, and that's fine. Like they, absolutely. If that's what you think, if that's what a game, is that what you want a game to be? Like, that's great. Like, that's what I want a roller coaster to be. I don't <laughs> want a roller coaster to be like a, a thoughtful expression of like my existential angst. Like, right. I don't want, I don't want that from a roller coaster. I don't want that from a Oscar Mayer wiener. Like, I just want, I want the superficial thing. Like, and, and some people think about games in their entirety as that. And that's, that's fine. You're free to believe that. I don't believe that. So there you go. Can't, there's no, there's no reconciliation to be made there. It's just people. Did you have a sense of that when you began Far Cry 2? No, I don't think so. You thought you were going to make a game and it was going to be systemic systemic, and like everyone's going to be like, wow, this is, this is exactly the type of game I want to see. Yeah. So you had to probably make sort of a, yeah, to kind of digest that at some point, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the hard part about only getting an 85 Metacritic yeah. or whatever was was realizing that that actually, like, I have to be happy with that because it's... Yeah. Because I would not... I would be less happy with the 95 Metacritic version of that yeah. game. Well, I mean, you went through that, so to some extent, you're free of Metacritic now. That's true. It's a good point. Not, no one's really free from <laughs> yeah. Metacritic, but you're, you know, at least in terms of the voice in your head, yeah, is different now. I would yeah, think. yeah, for sure. Yeah, which is tough. Um, so we're <laughs> we're finishing up Far Cry Two, and now we're getting the part of your career is a lot more difficult to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, boy. 
What time is it? Yeah, it's getting, it's getting late. I, actually, what, I just transitioned to because I don't, there aren't games to talk about right you now, so there's not enough left to say. So I mean, I would just I just transitioned to like um, you know you dedicate your career to making games. Mm-hmm. Why? Um. Um. I mean, games are how I, games are how I like express myself to the world. Like I had, I had thought once upon a time it would be writing, um, you know, and maybe it could have been, but whatever, I ended up on a different path, but, um, you know, nothing has made me more aware of how, uh, like the last five years I have just felt fucking completely isolated from humanity. Like, right. I just don't even feel like I'm alive, right? Yeah. Like, like making games and people playing my games and the feedback I get from my games, even from people who don't like them, like, it makes me, like, I have to do it. Like, I, like I, feel, like I'm not, I feel like I'm not alive if I'm not doing it, right? Like, there's nothing, what am I doing if I'm not communicating to the world? And it's like a way that I can. Right. And when I, when I make games, <clears throat> people... Um, People seem to profoundly understand the things that I'm saying. Saying I don't even like to use that that concept, but people right. seem to profoundly understand things about me, and I I I profoundly understand things about myself when I make games. And if I'm not doing that, it's like fuck it, it just shouldn't even be. So that's why. All right. <laughs> well, looking forward to the next game then. Me too. <laughs> Me cool. too. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this was great. Uh, thanks for. Thanks, man. Time. Now I'm all. Tired out. My throat's all blown. We we almost hit hit part of there. Uh, <laughs>